Great job. I uh, like that song. I'm glad that I'm not the one doing the leading of the singing and dancing. It took me about a year to learn how to sing and play guitar at the same time, and I still don't do it very well. So, Juliana, you got your gifts and talents there from your mom, not your dad. Uh, and Eli, man, way to go, dude. I, I love the fact that a guy is up here doing that stuff. I know Jensen's done it before, um, but it's, it, guys don't typically do that stuff. So, dude, I just appreciate you being that courageous young man. Um, and then Jovi and Claire, y'all did a great job as well. Thank y'all. Um, I love the, the kids thing um, on Sunday mornings right now. I think it's been a very beneficial thing. And especially as I think about the message of that, that song, that we're coming together to be together as a church, and we're here together to be worshiping the Lord so that what, what? we would be encouraged about our, our sanctification, obeying the Lord. And that's really what this message is about this morning, is that we would see an area uh, that we struggle in, that we would recognize that struggle, and we would change in, in relationship to the, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and His power in us as believers. And so I, I want to um, remind you of something, two things before we start. First of all, um, if you, Steve and I were talking this morning, and, and I, I just confess to him, I've kind of checked out of news this week. And I just said, it's, it's one of those things that can kind of consume me, and I spend too much time. It wasn't me. Steve Pell, is that mic on? Would you just turn it all the way off, whether it is or not? I thought it was Perry's guitar. Like there, I thought there was a bad chord. It's Steve. Steve Pelt's the guilty one. We're watching our eyes on him. Everybody in the booth is looking at you, Steve. They're giving you the evil glare. Everyone on Facebook, make a comment to Steve. Behave. <laughs> he wants to reach for the mic, but it's been turned off. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> he said, yours is later. Um, uh, so what I was saying about Steve is um, he and I caught up. He, he brought me up to speed on a couple things that happened politically this week. And I, I want to share a proverb that I think is very important. The, the Lord showed me this proverb when I was doing some mental health training for our, our county um, about how to help youth with mental health issues, uh, how we as adults and caregivers might serve them. And, and this truth, I think, it pertains to us in our culture today. And I, I want to share that with you on Facebook as well as those who are here under, uh, in, in the, the room together. Because I think that if we could promote this concept uh, that's a biblical truth, how would this change the world and culture in which we live? So Proverbs 13, verse 12, says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I want you to think about where we've been and where we are in some ways. People that are struggling with, with political issues, maybe it's health issues. When hope is deferred, it means that when it's held back, the heart becomes sick. I, I think that's where our culture is, our nation. I think in, in so many ways. I think even the church can be there in some ways. But, but listen to the next part of this. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So what is the desire that we need fulfilled? It's this, hope. Does that make sense? Because when our hope in Christ specifically 
is sure and founded, the heart is made well. So, so folks, what I'm getting at is we, we have this great honor and privilege to make sure that we make the most of who Christ is as a body together, publicly with those who are in need, whose hope is being deferred. The only way they're going to overcome that sickness is for them to know the hope of Christ so that there is this what? A desire fulfilled. And they understand what it means to, to live with Christ, that they're, they're a tree planted by the living waters like that. And, and there's this tree of life about them. I, I just could not escape that thought this morning because it, it jumped in when we were singing, a mighty fortress is our God. He, he keeps us safe. He is the only hope. We have a mighty fortress in our God, a bulwark that will never be shaken. Hope, hope is found in him, okay? So now, that's the first thought. The second thought is this. We're in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We're continuing in our series. I want to give you a kind of a, a short recap of where we were last week. If you remember, we started looking at this concept of meekness and long-suffering and how meekness and long-suffering are really expressions of the perfect character and nature of God our Father. We looked at that in some of those Old Testament passages in Exodus and Numbers and how it's also a perfect reflection of Christ himself that he showed meekness and long-suffering and patience with us. And so when we looked at those concepts, what we saw is, as believers, as followers of Christ, we too need to be meek. We need to be long-suffering. And here's what we looked at. Uh, three principles. First, we're not to seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So, so when one, someone has wronged us or there's a circumstance that has, has uh, caused us uh, a, a struggle, we should not seek revenge. We should uh, understand that God is at work. Second of all, we should prepare for the fact that we are going to be, have to bear injuries. It's just part of the course of life. God never said when you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect and peaceful. He actually says that we will suffer, that we're going to have to take up our cross daily and follow him. So, so there's this point we need to recognize that mentally and prepare. And so the third part that we saw last week is that if, in order for us to not seek revenge, to un, in understanding that we will bear suffering, that when we renew our minds, we will be able to do that well in obedience to the Lord. So that, that's where we were last week. So let's pick up this week. We're going to continue in our text in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. So let's read this, and I'll, I'll hit a little bit of 5 to finish the sentence, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, here's our text for this morning. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. So we're going to be looking at what it means to prevent an envious spirit. So, so where it says that love is not, does not envy or boast... What does it mean to have an envious spirit? So first, I want to ask this question as a way of thought. What is an envious spirit? 
Um, I want to begin by giving you a little bit of Greek, okay? So we, we think about envy. The first Greek word that, that is typically translated envy is, thought, I can't say it, thanos. It's like a P-T-H-N-O-S. Oh, thanos, thanos, that's it. P-T-H-O-N-O-S. You don't care, okay? You already go, it's hard to pronounce, I don't care. But here's what it means, okay? It has this idea of indicating an ill will towards someone because of an advantage they have. So, so you look at somebody and say, well, they've got this, it's better than what I've got. And then you get this in, sense of envy that you, you don't like them and your, your will toward them becomes critical. Does that make sense? Okay, now here's the thing. Envy is different than jealousy, but they're kind of twin sisters, if you will, okay? Jealousy is a little bit different. The word translated jealousy, now this is really interesting, is the word zealos. It's actually kind of that same idea as the word zeal or, or being zealous for something. When you think about somebody being zealous, what, what do you think? Okay, now I know that's kid, kid, that may be hard for kids, but if somebody is zealous about something, what, is it, what does it look like? They're excited, okay, lots of energy. Sometimes it's used in, in a negative context. They have hatred towards something, okay? They can be zealous and they're ha hating the other, uh, their opponents, right? So they work in zeal. And that's, that's why I think that idea of zealous being translated as jealous has to do with that intense anger and hatred towards someone. So I, I want to read this statement that a psychologist made. He says, jealousy and envy are two emotions that could be described, listen to this, as the toxic, renewable energy that fuels much of the negative behavior that can both run and ruin people. Do you get that? It's a negative, toxic energy that can run and ruin people. Because we can often become envious of someone so that we're critical and we're ill will towards them. Jealousy then takes that a little bit step further and it acts upon that in, in a, a method of hatred. So I want us to, to uh, consider a couple things about this biblically. And uh, think about this. When, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and struggling, or, or began to struggle with the temptation, what was the, the nature of the temptation that Satan introduced to them? Is that they didn't have the understanding about things like God did, right? So what did Satan really do? He created in them a sense of envy and jealousy, right? That, that, hey, God has something you don't have. I'm ill will towards God now because he knows everything and I don't. And then ultimately that, that became jealousy where they acted upon it and they hurt themselves in the action. So think about this. If that's where, and I know I'm nutshelling this in some ways, but, but if that sin initiated with Adam and Eve right there, envy and jealousy, can you think of other biblical illustrations or examples of where that cropped up? Y'all shout them out. If you, if you know some on Facebook, post them on Facebook. Think of some, some places where characters in Scripture in, uh, showed, demonstrated envy or jealousy. David and Bathsheba had it listed. Great job. How? David coveted or envied what Uriah had in Bathsheba, and then it led to jealousy where he acted out and had Uriah left in the front, really was murder, um, and, and that was one. Somebody else. Uh, say it again, Daniel. 
Cain and Abel, perfect, man. So right after Adam and Eve, you have Cain and Abel. And, and there's this aspect where Cain's gift, uh, Cain killed Abel, right? So Cain's gift was not accurate, and Cain was envious and jealous of Abel's blessing from God. Somebody else was shouting out something. Who, who was it? Oliver? Who? No, you weren't? Okay. Who else? Yes. Joseph and his brothers. You have his brothers that were very... Is that what you were saying, Abigail? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, and Nancy was saying it too? Okay. <laughs> Sorry to skip y'all. Eli shouted it out earlier when I was looking. So, yeah, Joseph and his brothers. His brothers were very jealous and envious of the treatment that Joseph got from his dad. And, and so what they do, they not only did they envy him from a distance, but they got so angry that they threw him in the well and took this action against, the, uh, against Joseph. And it led to their, their, in a sense, their destruction, their struggles. Who else? Yeah, Knox. Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. Yeah, I didn't even think of it. Great job, man. Esau sold his birthright because of Jacob. Jacob was a liar and supplanter, envious of the birthright. And so they, they strategized all this. So, so here's my point. We can keep listing things after, you know, more and more things. Um, I, I thought about this one because of camp, Christian, but Jonah and, and the Ninevites, that he was envious of their repentance and jealous. And, and it, it's interesting. So it's a sin that we see repeated and repeated and repeated throughout with biblical characters. Now, Here's, here's the, uh, the, the, the thing about this. I'm going to give you an illustration. Uh, Serena, let's get that eagle up there, okay? There was this illustration shown, and I think this will, hopefully kids, you guys will enjoy this. Um, there's this eagle that was envious of another eagle who could fly higher. So this eagle decided that, that couldn't fly as high. He decided to go to a um, hunter and say, could you shoot this eagle down so I could be the one that flies the highest? And the hunter said, sure, but here's what it's going to require. It's going to require action on your part where I need a, an eagle's feather that will make my arrow fly straighter and truer and further. And so the eagle says, it's worth it. He pulls out a feather. The, the uh, hunter shoots, misses. He says, well, we'll need to just try this again. So this repeats over and over and over until the eagle that was envious and jealous to act out didn't have any feathers left to fly. And what happened? The hunter said, well, bing, because he couldn't get away. He shot that eagle. I think it's a good illustration of how often jealousy and envy take over us as the ones holding on to those things, and they are destructive. D does that make sense? So I'm the oldest of three boys. Y'all hear stories about me and my brothers all the time. It's easy to be envious and jealous of siblings, isn't it? Because they can have different skill sets and different abilities. Maybe they got a different a, a gift that you wanted or an item you wanted at their birthday. All those things happen in life, don't they? But, but guess what? It's not just there, is it? Man, marketing plays on this stuff in our lives today, doesn't it? We, we envy the things that other people have. We want the next bigger and best thing. It's a struggle for all of us. Why? Because I think it's rooted in the core of these, these uh, two, two ideas in where we struggle in sin nature. So here's what Jonathan Edwards says. I think this is important. Envy evermore arises from self-love. So, so it's rooted in looking at someone else and seeing what they have, but saying, I love myself so much that 
this is where I'm going to dwell. And it is a want of, or a lack of, it, we, we want something, um, it, we, we don't have it, we, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Does that make sense? So I'm going to read the whole quote in, in, in context. Envy evermore arises from self-love and a want of, like of loving our neighbor as ourselves. We don't love them enough. So, so let me pause on that for just a second. Because I think this is a checkpoint that we need to go, hmm, how, how are we doing because if we're struggling with self-love and envying those around us, and it leads into jealousy, we're putting ourselves in a place of jeopardy. And, and that's why it's so important for us to, to understand that if we're going to love as Christians ought to love well, we've got to make sure that we're disciplined on handling our, our issues of envy and jealousy. So here's one of my thoughts. If, if it's about self-love, envy is kind of equating with self-love. It, it means this, that one's recognition of God's mercy and grace on all is abandoned. As self, myself, displaces God on the throne, on his throne, and sets me, the individual, up as the arbitrator of what is just, good, and right. Does, does that make sense? Because if God is sovereign and he's deciding how he wants to bless and administrate things to cause the rain to rain on whomever in whatever time to bless them with certain things, and I go, mm, I love myself more. God, you don't understand what you're doing. I'm saying, you don't, you don't get it. You're, I need to be on the throne, and I'm the arbitrator of what's good, what's right, and what's just. And that is the most dangerous place to be. And how many of us can easily become guilty of that very thing? And, and I'm going to say this, because I'm looking at a lot of students and, and uh, t today, teenagers and, and kids in elementary school. Y'all need to be really careful about this. Because it's easy to look at your friends and go, well, they've got that Xbox. They've got that game system. They've got that awesome toy. I don't have that. And we envy them. And then we can become bitter in our souls and our spirits towards them. We can maybe even get bitter and upset and displacing God on the throne of our lives and frustrated about our, with our parents, Right? For, for what they can or can't provide. I've been there. I've done that. It's, it's awful. It will eat at your core because when you're displacing God on the throne of your lives, and adults, we do it too, but what happens is then we're embittered against those who are in authority because we're, we're trying to judge and do things on our own standard instead of God's standard, and we're not loving others well, loving our parents, loving our friends, and even loving ourselves. but ultimately points to our lack of trust in who God is, and it interrupts our love for him and his sovereignty and his ability to rule us rightly. See, see why this is such a dangerous issue. So let, let's continue. Um, so here's an encouraging matter on this issue. When envy arises, the Christian who is responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit will be alarmed at that envy and they'll fight against it. See, that's where the importance of the, the Holy Spirit's work, we go, ooh, there's envy. 
oh my goodness, I'm, uh, there's jealousy. I need to stop this. I need to participate in the work of the Holy Spirit's convicting power. And I need to desire deeply to break this spirit of envy and spirit of jealousy so it doesn't show forth. And it, 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 it helps us almost like see the mirror or it's like a mirror that, that shows us our heart and our discontent with the Lord. I think it's, an, it's so important to see how we're doing. So that's that, that first issue, okay? That, that the nature of the envious spirit. So second, let's look at what it means to, uh, for the Christian to put those things to death. Because that's, that's what I was second, like, just talking about. Is when we see that, when that mirror comes up and it says, ooh, you have envy or jealousy in your heart, what we are required to do is this. We are to put it to death. It's called mortification. So let's look at Philippians 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians 4. You all be very familiar with one of these verses, and I want to make sure we set it in context this morning. Philippians 4, 10 through 13 is where we're going to be, okay? Philippians 4, 10 through 13 says, I, in Paul's writing, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. So listen to Paul's heart right here. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So set this up. Paul's saying, look, I have had needs, but I've learned to be content. I don't need to envy somebody that has this over here. I don't need to be jealous for somebody that has something over here. I am just going to be content. And then listen to, to verse um, 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's just saying, look, whatever situation I'm faced with, I am going to be content. And then he's, here's how he, he says that he's going to be able to do that. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. So, so a lot of times you'll hear that verse 13 pulled out of context. That doesn't mean, hey, I, I can do all things through Christ uh, who strengthens me, that you're going to be an Olympic athlete. You may not ever do that. Now, you might strive and try, but that just doesn't, it doesn't just mean this carte blanche thing that, hey, I can do all things. No, 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 no. That is not the point. The point is that when we are looking at our needs, that because of Christ strengthening me, we can be content in all things because we're trusting God to provide for our every need, whether we are in need or we're in abundance, whether we're struggling or not, Christ is sufficient and in him, we can do all things that he requires us to do. To do what? Be content. So we don't have to live in envy. We don't have to live with jealousy and, and find that hurt and attack. We, we don't have to live with ill will towards someone or become uh, opposed to them. We are able to be content in all things. Where does that begin? With Christ, with our position in Christ, putting to death those things that, dis, that the, the enemy places in our path by our nature as well that we tend to lean into. We discipline ourselves according to the work of the Spirit. So that's the second thing. The third thing is this. While mortifying the enemy, the Christian is to be disposed to rejoice with others or for others in their prosperity. 
whether they're a believer or not. Our, our nature, our, our need, I mean, is that the Holy Spirit is saying to us that we should look and say, God is in control. He is sovereign. Let us rejoice in what he has blessed them with. Turn over to Romans 12, verses 15 through 16. Romans 12, verses 15 through 16. So, so we're, we're talking about being disposed as Christians to rejoice with those who are, are uh, living in prosperity. Romans 12, 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You hear how that it just sounds so familiar with that idea of not displacing God on the throne, that we trust his wisdom, that, that we would look at people and say, hey, if they're rejoicing, we're, we're going to rejoice with them. If they're sorrowful, we're going to be sorrowful with them. We're going to trust that God is ruling. And because of that, uh, trust in God, we're going to be content and, and, and we're going to see the blessings of God. So all of those things are, are those, those kind of thoughts and three things in particular set out what this struggle with envy and jealousy is. Now, I want us to, to look at um, some more scripture, and I want to, want to show you how the scriptures emphasize the danger of envy and jealousy. So look at Romans 13, 13, and if you don't want to flip, that's going to be fine. I've got them in my notes, so um, I'm going to try to turn there, give you a second. But Romans 13, 13 says this, let us walk, I lost it, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. You hear that? We're not to walk in quarreling and jealousy because those things endanger us. So there, there it is. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Paul writes, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So, so obviously, Paul is saying, look, jealousy and strife and envy, they are the, the uh, features of the flesh. We need to be trusting in the Lord. Look at first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. So all I'm attempting to do here is show you the, the thread that, that scripture has addressed envy and jealousy. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, gossip conceit, and disorder. There it is again, that, that Paul is concerned that the church is expressing this uh, theme of jealousy towards one another. Look at Galatians 5.26. Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians 5.26. says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Again, that instruction to avoid this. 1 Timothy, verse, chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 4 through 6. We read, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, 
dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived in, of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great, what? Gain in godliness with contentment. So there's that specific place that we see envy and contentment contrasted. If we want to be people of godliness, we need to discipline ourselves so that envy does not become what rules us, but instead God's, uh, we trust in God's sovereignty and provision so that we are content in all things. Last verse. Turn over to Titus. It'll be right after Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus 3.3. I love this one because I think it shows the, the frame of our uh, struggle. And especially for us, the, the call is to, to be putting away foolishness. I'm, I'm tipping the scripture here. But foolishness is not something we just outgrow. We have to work at putting it away. You, you know, adults, you've probably been around long enough that you know when there's an adult that is acting foolish, it's like, what in the world? It like sets you back, doesn't it? And you think, why have they not grown up? Because they haven't been disciplined to put away foolishness. So listen to what Titus 3.3 says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. Isn't that interesting? Foolishness and disobedience are tied together here. He goes on. Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and what? Envy. Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, so that, that picture right there is that the only way to un overcome foolishness and, and envy and hatred is through the gift of God's grace that transforms us. And so we, we need to understand that, that Christ is the answer, going back to what I shared first, that it is, he is the hope. He is the hope that fixes relationships. And that when, especially for us as believers, we see envy, we need to recognize that and say, we're changing. We're, we're going to commit to obedience to the scriptures, obedience to the call and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to repent so that Christ is honored and we're going to find contentment and peace and security in him, not in the circumstances of this world, so that we just make sure that we're not on the throne of our lives, metaphorically, but Jesus is. And so that our lives are surrendered to him in obedience. So I'm, I'm not going to deal a lot with this today. Steve's actually going to be teaching next week. But here's the other piece of this puzzle. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13, it says that we're not to be, love is not arrogant or rude. The idea of arrogance is what? When you think of somebody that's arrogant, you think they're, they're what? Prideful. That's it. What is the opposite of arrogance or pride? Humility. Right? So when self, envy, takes over, when jealousy takes over, self takes over, self is the elevation of oneself as pride. So if we're going to dis destroy and defeat envy and jealousy, we have to operate in what? Humility. 
recognizing that, that God is in charge, that Christ is the one that transforms us through the work of the Spirit and the Word. So, so that's the message. Apart from Christ, folks, there is, there's going to be a wrestling with envy and jealousy and all these things. Christ is what brings hope, the hope of transformation, the hope of reflecting the work of his work in us so that humility is seen and we love others more than we love ourselves. Others being God himself. That's why envy is so dangerous. That's why jealousy is so dangerous. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the application of this for just a quick moment. I'm going to give you a couple questions and then I'm going to give you a short exhortation about this, which is kind of really more of a challenge, if you will. So let me give you some questions to, to think through how you're doing with envy. Is our neighbor's success good news or uncomfortable news? Is our neighbor's success good news or uncomfortable news? Have we ever wished our neighbor to be brought down? Whoops, I just took the, the gavel and became judge and jury, right? Not the Lord. If I'm wishing my neighbor to be brought down, that is a wrong place for me. I've put myself on the throne. Have we done anything to eclipse the honor of our neighbor? You get that metaphor? Like we said, hey, I want to steal or rob their glory, their honor. I, I want to eclipse that. I want to make more of me than them. That's a tough question to answer, honestly. Because I, I can think how many times I want it to be me. I want to be seen. Eclipsing somebody's honor. Have we spoken ill of them? But we like to couch that in some ways, don't we? Carefully couch, speaking ill of somebody. Man, they're struggling. We need to pray for them. That's Christianese for speaking ill. We do it, don't we? We need to, to evaluate. Here, here's getting down into the spirit of things a little bit more. Do we have an embittered spirit towards them. Where we just are so maybe angry, frustrated, envious, jealous, whatever, we just seethe with that. It's, it's deep within us. And we try to keep it under control, right? Because we want the mask to make us look good. But in, in the really the core, what we're doing is we're boiling over because we're embittered in our spirit towards them with envy and jealousy. And we really desire the worst. Evaluation more, Okay. Have we ever been stiff and willful in opposing their interests? So in, instead of trying to be content and work with them, we're stiff and we're willful and resistant to, to being able to work with them. Lastly, have we ever attempted to justify our envious spirit with a sense of justice or righteous indignation? See, see we, what we do is we say, I'm, I'm right I've got righteous indignation and we justify, or we, we attempt to justify what's really an envious spirit. Now, don't hear me by saying, I'm, I'm not saying that, that having righteous indignation is wrong. It's wrong if we're trying to cover envy with it or cover jealousy, and we'll do that. It's, it's very easy to do because what we have done is we've taken on that role of the Lord's by, by trying to be the judge and jury. So, I want to give you a Proverbs. Listen to this Proverbs 14.30. And I would encourage you maybe flip there and underline this one in your Bible. Proverbs 14.30. I'm going to go there. So, you got a second. Proverbs 14.30. says this. 
a tranquil heart. Can I ask a, a qualifying question, editorial question here? How many of you need a tranquil heart right now with the culture and context of our lives in America? I do. Because it's, it seems like everything is trying to, that, that's going on in our culture is, attempt, is Satan's attempt to thwart our peace, to, to call, create chaos around us. So I want tranquility. God is a God of peace. He's not a God of chaos. Okay, so my responsibility is to cooperate with him in creating peace and not adding to the chaos. How many times have you, my kids, heard that statement? You're adding to the, the chaos of our home. We want peace, right? <laughs> Too many to count, right? Okay, so here's, four, so let's go back to the Proverbs. Proverbs 1430, a tranquil heart gives life. I've lost it again. Gives life to the flesh. But envy does what? Makes the bones rot. So let me make a very bold statement here for a second. Do you see why people in our world that don't have the hope of Christ envy one another's circumstances and situations and privileges and blah, 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 blah? The list of these things goes on and on. What's the outcome? That's what Scripture says. It rots to the bone. Are we seeing that? Yes. We need to present the hope of Christ so that tranquility in the heart gives life. That is what Christ is about. That is what the, the scriptures teach. So here's the exhortation, the challenge, if you will. It's actually kind of by way of a, a, a caution, warning. Let us be people that pursue the peace of Christ, not envying, because if we envy, our bones will rot. Now listen to what Edward says. He says, envy is like a powerful eating cancer, preying on the vitals, offensive and full of corruption. And it is the most foolish kind of self-injury. Isn't that interesting? It's not about in, in, injuring the other. Edwards notes, and I think biblically right, that envy rots my bones. It's the most serious injury to self. And he continues, for the envious make themselves trouble most needlessly, being uncomfortable only because of others' prosperity, when that prosperity does not injure themselves or diminish their enjoyments and blessings. See, the, the prosperity of the other is not doing anything wrong. But because I get offended by it, I, I become envious, it rots my bones. He continues, but they are not willing to enjoy what they have because others are enjoying it also. See, so instead of me being content with all things that I have, I'm looking to someone else and I'm becoming ill will towards them or I'm becoming jealous towards them and I'm not just trusting Christ. Let then the consideration of the foolishness, the baseness, see that goes back to I think the, the initial point of sin that this is what is part of our depravity from Adam and Eve. The infamy of the so wicked a spirit cause us to abhor it. 
That means to hate it with the greatest amount of hate that we can and to run away from it. So, so boys and girls, teenagers, listen to what, I'm, uh, what Edwards is getting at. When we have envy, when we have jealousy, what he's saying is abhor it. Don't, don't let it live in you for a second. Put it to death, run away from it, hate it so much so that you do not let it rot your bones. And he continues, shun its excuses. <laughs> see, see, what do we tend to do with excuses? We embrace them and we make them right? And we embrace them all the more because we want, y'all have heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again because it's been a while. My, my previous pastor in East Tennessee, Jim Mays, he, he shared this thought with me that the, an excuse is the skin of a truth stuffed with a lie. How many times do we make excuses that, that on the outside, the skin of the truth, it's, it's justifiable, but inside it's really a lie, and see, we make excuses about envy and jealousy and other sins so that we can hang on to them. We don't abhor them. We don't run away from them. We don't try to mortify them and put them to death. We become satisfied with our sin, and it rots our bones. Edwards continues, instead, what we need to do is earnestly seek the spirit of Christian love. See, we've already been talking about the whole concept of Christian love up until now. The last four weeks, that's what we've been focusing on. And the spirit of Christian love does not entertain envy. Instead, it entertains a selfless love towards others to help them understand the hope that they can find in Christ. Whether they're a believer or not. Because all of us need to, to do what? Be encouraged about the love of God. So if we would stop envying and being jealous, and instead we would be serving others, how different would the church be? How different would the community be that we live in? See, it's a high calling, isn't it? We ought to be people that do our hardest work in mortifying the deeds of the flesh that Christ has honored. It's really, really simple. It's just really, really hard. So I would encourage you, Do the evaluation. Please heed the warning. Evaluate. If you have that mirror held up to you and you go, ooh, I have an envious spirit, will you please repent of that? If you're jealous over somebody or something, would you repent of that and put it to death so that Christ is honored and your ability to love God well and others well is enhanced? That's what will change the world in which we live because that's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of Christ. That's the message that Christ came to present to us to overcome sin and our sin nature by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the gospel. So I want us to do this. I want us just to take a minute before Perry and and Steve come, close out the service. I want us just to to do that for a minute. I want us to take a minute to really reflect, to to do an inventory. And if we do see that, will you repent of that right where you are? You don't have to get up and move. You're capable of doing that right where you are. Sometimes movement helps. If you need to come to the crossover on my left, your right, that's great. If you need to come talk to me and say, hey, Matt, I need some more counsel about that or see Steve or Dan or Ron or whomever else, maybe a grow group leader, doesn't matter. Somebody that you know that you can trust that will give you good biblical counsel. Ladies, there's tons of ladies in here as well. Any of the, our, um, those guys that I named their wives, just get with them. If you need to move and do that, do that. Just my plea is this. Be obedient. Be obedient to the scriptures and don't let sin ruin your life so that that your bones rot metaphorically. 
That's not where we want to be. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let you just do business with the Lord. And then Perry and Steve are going to come. As you are continuing in prayer or just self-reflection, let me read a passage to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is good. And all the time, we are loved by an everlasting God. Loved perfectly. The love of God is perfectly displayed in the Trinity. And Christ modeled that love for us. And it's amazing to see that the opposite effect, Christ-like love, self-love, humility, envy. I don't know about you all today, but I've been gutted again. These words are hard. These words are very hard to listen to. And I'm praying for you. Please be praying for me.
Let's be praying for the church. This, these are hard words to listen to. And it is a mirror that is put right up in front of me that I'm having to really take some ownership on some things in my life. But God is good, isn't he? Let's pray. Once again, God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, use these words, the truth of Jesus Christ, to cut deeply into our lives. To make real and plain those areas that we need to surrender. Forgive us for our jealousy, our envy, our selfishness. May we put on Christ. May everything that we do bless, honor, and glorify the name of Jesus. Amen.